with Annie, I am really glad that you're here this month, really glad that we get to hear from Barbara, and so I'm going to give a brief introduction of someone who really needs very little introduction around here, but for those of you who are newer, let me tell you a little bit about our speaker today. So Barbara Fletcher has been on staff at Salem Alliance for 26 years. And it is now common knowledge, although you may not have all heard yet, but she's retiring in a couple weeks. So we're in the process around here of celebrating her. And you'll see her this weekend at church in an interview as she kind of talks through what the next stage of her journey looks like. And so I just feel like we are so blessed to get her this week. As I heard of all the things that were lined up with her week this week, I said, boy, going out with a bang, Barbara, doing the gathering and this and that. I said, but you might as well do this last couple weeks at the same pace you've done the whole 26 years because Barbara goes and goes. But uh, my first awareness of Barbara Fletcher was actually when I was uh, quite a bit younger and she was the leader of BSF, the teaching leader here in Salem. Barbara, what years was that? 78 to 83, Barbara was the teaching leader. And the reason I heard her name was because my mom, Hope Bulgin, was one of the discussion leaders under Barbara's leadership. And I remember even in 83, so I was 11 in 83, hearing Barbara's name and what an amazing leader what she was and what an amazing teacher she was. And then in 87, we ended up here at Salem Alliance, and I believe it was about 90... Yeah, if it was 26 years, it was 90 that you came on staff as the director, the pastor, the founder of Women's Ministries here. And so some of my personal interactions with Barbara as I grew older, my first recollection of a significant conversation with Barbara was actually at the Discovery Seminar. How many of you remember Discovery Seminar? There's a smattering of you. So Discovery Seminar was when we would take a Friday night and Saturday or maybe four Tuesday evenings in a row and go through a whole process of how has God created us? How has he wired us? What did he make us for? And how can we bring that into his kingdom, which is where uh, spiritual gifts came from and which is why we have Barbara coming to talk on spiritual gifts today. But that particular time, I had done the whole assessment, and by that time, I knew that I loved speaking. I knew that I um, was a teacher, you know, and, and that's just kind of the word that people put on it. So I knew what my highest gift would be. It would come out as teaching. And as I did the whole assessment and got the scores and talked to others and kind of answered all the questions, my highest gift actually came out as prophecy. And I was like 22, and the only prophets I knew of were Isaiah and Jeremiah and They like told people, thus saith the Lord, and then they got their heads chopped off. Like, I just didn't understand what prophecy could look like in a New Testament evangelical setting. And and Barbara gave me an explanation that actually um, helped me understand what God had made me to do about what prophecy might look like briefly, because I know I'm leaving you all hanging, but I'm trying to get Barbara up here, not me. There's two types of prophecy. There's foretelling. That's the person who says what's going to happen in the future. And there's forthtelling. That's the person who has a spiritual gift of really understanding and insight and hearing from the Holy Spirit and being able to speak out to others what they sense God is saying. And for me, teaching has never been about studying and being a student and academic. For me, teaching has always been about what is God saying and how can I communicate that to others? And it was Barbara who helped me see that along the way in various conversations in her office. As some of you are very even painfully aware, being an evangelical Christian woman with the gifts of leadership and speaking is not always an easy road to walk, and Barbara has walked me through many years of that. I was privileged to get hired here about five years ago with Barbara as my direct supervisor. 
few years after that, she and I and my husband Jeff traveled to Jordan and Kurdistan on a small trip together to go. Barbara got invited to be a speaker at a women's retreat in northern Iraq. And she said, well, I'll go, but I don't want to go alone. Jennifer and Jeff, do you want to go with me? And my husband went to his first women's retreat. And Barbara and I had a fantastic time ministering together. So you were in for a blessing today. Barbara, come on up and let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the gifts that you've given us. Thank you that Jesus, as you are our head, you have created a body with so, such a variety of strengths and abilities and supernaturally gifted skills. And so just uh, would you anoint Barbara as she speaks to us today? Would you open eyes and hearts of women who maybe would say, yeah, I don't have a gift for an aha moment to recognize something that you have placed, a deposit that you have placed in them give them some freedom to move out in a different way. And thank you for the gifts that you've given Barbara and that we will be blessed by today. In your name, amen. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Jen, so much. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. I truly am. Uh, somebody said, what's well, the last time you're speaking at Salem Lions? Probably, maybe, I don't know, time will tell. <laughs> God knows I don't, that's for sure. But um, it is just such a joy to see women I've known for a lot of years, but um, an equal joy to see young women I don't know. <laughs> a lot of you I don't know, and that feels kind of weird to me because um, I led women's ministries for several years, and I knew just kind of felt like I knew all the women, and it's uh, both sad and a blessing to me uh, to be here because I'm sad I don't know you, but I'm so ecstatic that you are following after the Lord and pursuing the things of God as evidenced simply by being here, whether your journey with God is still question marks or you've just started your journey or if you've been walking since you were little girls. I am just so blessed um, by this ministry, Hearts at Home, which was started actually by Jennifer's mom, Hope Bulgen, many, many years ago in the uh, late 80s. I don't remember the date, but anyway. Um, so it's a joy for me to be here with you, and I'm well aware that uh, probably a third of you have known, or at least a certain percentage of you have known your spiritual gifts for a while. And you say, well, maybe this will be a refresher course for you. And I hope it will, and I hope it will some way inspire you. Maybe a third of you came to refresh the wonderful uh, women's re Salem retreat, if you will, that's going to happen again this spring uh, here. And last year I spoke on spiritual gifts there. And maybe some of you were in that seminar and, and your eyes began to be opened and others of you have no idea what your spiritual gifts are and you're just starting the journey. So wherever you are, I'm thrilled that you're here. I'm honored that you're here and I'm believing God to bless all of us um, through his word. I know that in the gathering this year, you're on a theme of because Christ is therefore for I am. And so I want to open with a reading, reading to you from Colossians, one of my favorite portions in the Word of God, because it's such a powerful statement of who Christ is. But because Christ is the head of the church, and we are the body, he has given us spiritual gifts to walk out the body, as the body, um, what it is to lead other people to Jesus, what it is to deepen other people in Jesus. He is the head, we are the body. And Colossians talks about that. So does Ephesians, so does Romans 12, so does 1 Corinthians 12. But let me read to you from Colossians verse, chapter 1, verse 15. 
Christ is the, the visible image of the invisible God. Unbelievable, right? God come to earth. We get to see what God's like when we look at Jesus. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Jesus, used by God to create. He made the things we can see and he made the things we cannot see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Jesus and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Okay? He is the head of the church. We are the body. We are the body. We are living out the church in this kingdom age, and we are therefore essential, therefore essential to the expansion of the kingdom of God in us and through us to other people. Let me read to you then just a little bit about gifts. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, administrators, encouragers, people with the gift of helps, and on and on and on the list goes. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, build up the church, the body of Christ. Okay? So there you see, we are the body, he is the head. We are his agents on earth to take the kingdom to other people and build the kingdom not only in ourselves, but in people around us. So in that light, with that knowing who Christ is and who therefore we are as the body of Christ, I want to ask you, have you ever done uh, something in ministry and it was the worst possible experience for you? You uh, were there and you thought, I cannot wait for this responsibility to be over with because I am like out of my element or I'm bored to death or it's just plain too difficult. Um, and I would guess that a lot of you have had that experience. Maybe it was a short experience. Hopefully it wasn't a long experience. Um, but you probably went home completely wiped out and exhausted and nothing in you was inspired by that experience. Um, or have you ever seen people say, sure, I'll do that, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I would no more do that than fly to the moon. Like uh, somebody, like we have a mercy team of people that visit the hospital, one different person every single day of the week to visit people in the hospital. We have another team that visits shut-ins, and you're saying, wow, that's just not my gig. I would not be comfortable doing that. Or maybe you uh, look at somebody like uh, Lori Stott, who has, for the high school uh, here at church, has led a Valentine's dinner that happens two nights every uh, February, obviously, and our high schoolers raise money for their mission trips, and she plans these amazingly elegant dinners and implements them for hundreds and hundreds of people, like it's a restaurant, and you look at that, and maybe like I do, like, oh my goodness, that would be my worst nightmare if I were in charge of that. Um, or maybe you've been here during the week and you see what I see, which is a, a team of people that come in every single week and uh, they go into the sanctuary and they restuff all the pews. They check to make sure the pencils are sharp and that there is a pencil where it needs to be and that there are enough envelopes and encouragement cards and whatever. And I look at them and I think, oh, well, for one thing, it makes my back hurt just to look at them. I just can't even imagine bending over through that entire sanctuary doing that uh, for a couple hours every week. But they do it and they love doing it. 
Uh, or maybe you see people teaching like this today or teaching in community groups and you say, oh my goodness, my worst nightmare if I had to stand up in front of people and teach. And I would say to all of us that the reason we feel that way about things is we were not wired by God to do those things. Those are not our gifts. Those are not our strengths. It's not our call. And it's okay to feel that way. But it's not okay to not know how we are truly wired. Because we need to know how God made us so that we can serve his kingdom in the way that he's calling us to serve him. He has uniquely created every single one of us for certain ministries, and the certain ministries fit us to a T. Um, they will be right for us. We'll go home maybe tired, sure, because things can be tiring. Annie's going to go home tonight after setting up this whole thing for the last two days, and she's going to be exhausted but inside, her heart's going to be full of joy because she's been doing what she was wired to do. Big, big, big difference from doing something that makes you just oh, drained and not even fulfilled. I want to take you to two different people in Scripture. I could have chosen others because there's certainly lots of them. Uh, who walked out God's call on their lives. And the first one I want to take you to is one of my favorite prophets, Jeremiah, uh, because he was called the weeping prophet because he lived in such a hideous time of Israel where, where the nation was going down to the depths of despair and sin. And his message from God that he had delivered to that nation, people in Jerusalem and beyond, was God's going to come and he's going to destroy Jerusalem and Israel because of the, uh, of the profligate sin in this nation. It's the end times, people. Sin is going to be judged. And that was the message he had to give. It was not a fun message to give. But what I want to take you back to is his calling. Because it comes to us in Jeremiah 1, verse 5. I knew you, God said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, Jeremiah. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Before you were ever born, I had a plan for your life, Jeremiah, and it was that you would be a prophet just like I've had that plan for Jennifer, just like I've had that plan for other people. And Jeremiah said, oh, sovereign Lord, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. And I wonder how many of you feel that way. I know I have felt that way when at 33 God said, you know, do Bible study fellowship, and I said, you're kidding, really? Because they're like 70-year-old women in that class that have been missionaries their whole lives. And I'm like, wow, 33 and nowhere. Um, but God said to Jeremiah, like he said to me, don't say you're too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and I will protect you. And I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the Lord reached out and touched Jeremiah's mouth and said, Look, I have put my words in your mouth. So God had a plan for Jeremiah that was specific to Jeremiah, just as he has a plan that is specific to your life and to my life. Another person in Scripture that uh, I want to talk about this morning I'm tempted to talk about the Apostle Paul, but I'm going to stay with David. Um, because David was an unlikely person to do what God called him to do. There was a judge who was a prophet um, in the Old Testament by the name of Samuel. And God spoke to Samuel and he said, Samuel, this is the plan that I have for the next king of Israel. There is a young man in the city of Bethlehem, and I want you to go to Bethlehem, and I want you to anoint him to be the next king. He's the son of Jesse. 
And so this whole story is recorded in 1 Samuel 16. And uh, Samuel obediently goes to Bethlehem, finds the, the sheep farm of uh, Jesse, the father, and says, Jesse, um, one of your sons is meant to be anointed to be the next king of Israel. And so Jesse brings out his sons. That's amazing, fantastic. And he lines them all up, and, and God speaks to Samuel and says, nope, not that one, nope, not that one, 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 not that one. Isn't there another son in your family? Well, yeah, but he's just around 16. He's just a kid, and he's a shepherd, and that's all he knows. That's who I'm calling. That's who I'm calling. And what I want us to write on our hearts is that when God called David to be ultimately the next king of Israel, David had no idea of the potential God had put in his life to impact the kingdom of God. He had no idea that he would then be called for it to take on the giant Goliath. He had no idea he then would become a leader of thousands and tens of thousands in the military. No idea he would be the most successful king that had ever been in the nation Israel to that point. No idea that he would become a writer, a poet, who would write literature in the book of Psalms that we still read and cry out to God today. You see, he had no idea of the potential God put in him. And I want to say to you, women, you have no idea of the potential that God has put in you. And I don't care how old you are, if you're really young or if you're my age and you're almost 73 like I am, there's still potential in us that God wants to use to advance the kingdom of Christ. Do you know what God's ministry plan is for you? I hope that after today you'll begin, and then again next month when my dear friend Laurel Reitmer comes to speak to you about ministry passion, that you'll begin to put together the dots of what God wants um, in this season of your life. As I have gone through my files, I've been weeks going through my files in my office, eight file drawers, and they seem so incredibly long, of 26 years of ministry. And um, it's been a walk down memory lane of, Wow, God, I can't believe you let me do that. I can't believe you let me do that. I can't believe I got to do that and you prospered it. See, I had no idea 26 years ago that the doors God would open. Certainly no idea that I'd become a preacher at Salem Alliance Church. Multiple other things. Let me start a clinic. Are you kidding? Who could take that on when you're not even a medical person? Only by God's grace. God's empowerment, God's enabling step by step by step to whatever he calls us to do. And I want to say to you yet again, spiritual gifts are the way through. And when we know our spiritual gifts, then we can move through and do the things that God has called us to do, not because they're easy, but because he's wired us to have strength in that area and he will take over for us and carry us on. So I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 a little bit about these spiritual gifts. And don't try to stay with me because I'm going to jump around a little bit in this chapter. Um, but the primary chapters on spiritual gifts are, are, just remember the numbers 12, 12, and 4. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. And you can read about spiritual gifts as much as you'd like. But it says, the Word of God says, Now, dear brothers and sisters... Regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. It's important. Don't misunderstand this teaching about spiritual gifts. 
A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. It's not, I wasn't given the gift of administration just so I can keep my house really organized. Um, I was given the spiritual gift of administration so I can use it in the body of Christ. You weren't given the spiritual gift of mercy just so that you can be especially kind and empathetic to people um, in your family. It's meant to be used in the body of Christ and for the kingdom of God. So a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. If the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts, or it is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts, he alone decides which gift each person should have. I don't decide that, no, I would really like the gift of hospitality, God. No, Barbara, that's, I'm choosing something different for you. So we don't get to decide. God decides what our gifts are. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, though, oh, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make any less, any less a part of the body? And if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? In other words, every part of the body is essential for you and me physically, and every part of the body is essential for the kingdom of God as well. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is part of it. So God calls us to our unique roles, and whatever that gifting and role is, it's essential for the body of Christ. And I would say to you, the body of Christ is diminished in measure as we are not using our spiritual gifts for God's purposes. Um, I was talking, to, I have a twin sister who lives in St. Louis, Missouri, and <clears throat> on Christmas morning, um, I didn't get to talk to her, which is pretty unusual. And I thought, well, I know she's got a bunch of kids and grandkids there, and so she's busy. Um, but I didn't really find out until two or three days later that the reason I didn't get to talk to her that day is that she had fallen on her steps with a little three-year-old grandchild. And the grandchild, of course, is fine because they're resilient. And uh, she had a superly, super badly strained uh, ankle, right ankle. So I've got a picture of her. You may think that's me, but that's really Kathy. And she's got on this massive black boot on her right foot, which, you know, doesn't sound so terrible because you know, she can hobble around, but it's so swollen that she can't stand up and do things. Her husband has a lot of special uh, needs in this season of his life that she's struggling to meet. She can't drive because it's her right foot, and so it's like a real pain in the neck. Um, and so the point is that when even an ankle is damaged, it impacts how a human body can function, right? So it is in the body of Christ. A person with the gift of teaching cannot accomplish the same thing as a person with the gift of hospitality. A person with the gift of leadership cannot accomplish the same thing as a person with the gift of helps. Because the gift of helps person is running around doing helping people all the time. Because they can see intuitively what needs to be done. We'll talk about that in a minute. So God did not design the church to have the left hand do what the right hand is being called and equipped to do. So what is God's design for you, ladies? 
Um, what I want to say to you beyond a shadow of a doubt is that um, together you can have a staggering impact for the kingdom of God. A staggering impact when you walk out the calling of God on your lives. And I hope that this morning um, you will be inspired to really explore, God, what is it you want for me um, within the body of Christ? So you have on your tables a white paper that says at the top, spiritual gifts. Um, and I'm going to walk through these spiritual gifts, part of them, and then let you talk around your table about the, the ones that we've talked about so far. And hope that in the process you're going to say, ooh, that sounds a little bit like me. And you can put a check or a question mark by the little box in front of uh, the one that seems maybe like you or two or three that kind of resonate with your heart. Um, a definition for a spiritual gift is that it's a new ability, something you've never really been able to do before, or a divine empowerment of a natural ability. Maybe you've always been organized and God just says, whoops, I've given you the gift of administration. Use it for the kingdom, please. So it could be an empowerment of a natural ability. But it is not just your choice. It's given by the Holy Spirit as he determines to all believers. Every single one of us has spiritual gifts, ladies, for the purpose of serving others. Okay? So number one, the gift of administration. The unusual ability to strategize and or organize. So somebody with the gift of administration could kind of have big picture administration. And for example, um, if this is you, you can walk in your, say you're moving into a new house, something new to you, and you walk in and you look at the kitchen and you immediately think, okay, glasses there, plates there, uh, utensils there, uh, mixing bowls there, and you immediately see what makes logical sense in that kitchen, okay? Or if you have the gift of detail administration, you could take my tax file that I cram things into every year, all year long, and you could bring order out of chaos for me, you know, with detail administration or something, because you can take care of the details. And that is a gift of administration. Sometimes it's big picture strategy thinking in a ministry or a kitchen, how to strategize the kitchen, uh, or it's details, um, how, to, how to put together handouts, and what you need for a handouts for something like today. Uh, gift of discernment. It's a God-given sense about something being right or wrong, wise or unwise. You just have this sense from the Holy Spirit like, wow, what that book said just doesn't seem right to me, or what that speaker said, or what that friend said just doesn't resonate with what I think God would want. Um, and it's a God-given ability to sense something as wise or unwise. Does that sound like you? Uh, encouragement. For you, it's a way of life to speak or write words that strengthen or comfort people. It's just intuitive for you to send a text of encouragement to somebody or uh, send them a Facebook uh, post or whatever. I don't do Facebook, so forgive me when I get all the words wrong. But anyway, um, it's just a little too much for my life to add one more layer. Sorry. Uh, but people tell me what my daughter posts on Facebook. See, so, oh, they post, she posted that picture. Great. I should, anyway, people learn about my life in circuitous ways. Um, so there you go. Um, but you're an encourager, and you just love to build people up. You just intuitively, it's in you. You give them a hug, or you say this, or you say that, but you just 
gosh, I'm so glad you're here today, and I, I really love being with you, and I've missed not seeing you, and you're just an encourager. Um, you know what that means, and if that sounds like you, praise God. We need you in the church. Um, evangelism. Easily, you launch conversations about God. You like to invite people to church. You can't keep the great news of the gospel inside. Um, and you and I know people like that, probably, who they're talking to a neighbor, and all of a sudden the neighbor says something, and, and then they say, oh, you know, God did this similar thing in my life, and all of a sudden they're talking about God in the conversation. And it's very comfortable for them to say, you know, we have these Christmas Eve services. Do you have a church to go to on Christmas Eve? Would you like to come with us? We'd love to bring you. Easter's coming. Oh, do you, do you have a church? Would you like to just experience a Good Friday service or something? And it is so intuitive for people with the gift of evangelism. They cannot stop themselves from telling people about Jesus wherever they are. They inspire me. And what I want to say to all of us, including myself, if we don't have the gift of evangelism, you or I, we are not off the hook about sharing the gospel. It doesn't mean you or I never invite somebody to church, or it doesn't mean that we never turn a conversation to God, or we never say to somebody, golly, I'm just really going to pray for you about that and just turn the conversation upwards, if you will. We're all called to share the gospel, but some people just can't keep it in, and I hope a lot of you have that gift. Uh, the gift of faith. Now, we all have faith, or we wouldn't be here this morning, probably. But these people have a confidence in God in good times and hard times. They're hopeful. They pray instinctively. They can say to you, I'm confident God's going to get us through this, get you through this. They have no doubt about the presence of God and the power of God in any given situation. Uh, whether it's uh, somebody says, well, we're going to build a Broadway commons, you say, are you kidding me? Oh, no, God can do it. God can do it. That's what the person with the gift of faith says. So um, some of you, I'm sure, have a gift of faith because you believe God for the impossible, really. What other people say is utterly impossible. You know, God's, God's big enough for that. Or the gift of giving. Um, every, all of us are called to give to the kingdom, but some give money and resources eagerly. They just can't wait to give. A circumstance arises, quick responses, grab the wallet. They give in good times, they give in hard times, they've, they're very financially responsible generally, so they even have extra money to give. But in scripture we find everything from God honoring the widow that gives two little mites of her last money, just a little tiny bit, but she gave out of her poverty. Um, and God honoring uh, Mary, the sister of Martha, Lazarus, who pours out expensive perfume on Jesus' head. Um, and God honors whether you give a lot or you give a little. The people with the gift of giving, you don't, doesn't mean you're rich, wealthy to be a giver. Absolutely not. Um, these are people that just love to give money and help other people with resources. The gift of helps. These are people that see what needs to be done. Uh, they set up the chairs, they get a glass of water, they clean up, they're reliable, they enjoy every minute of helping. So that when we're finished today, the people with gift of helps, if they're not going to grab a baby or something, are going to be helping clean up right away because that's what they do. 
they see those needs. And um, this happened to have been one of, one of my husband's spiritual gifts, which is a real gift for a wife, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> he loved to help, loved to do the dishes and do whatever needed to be done. Uh, it's a real bonus. <laughs> so, um, Hospitality. Uh, you enjoy people. You like having people come over to your house. You have no need that you're, for your home to be perfect. You can have three weeks, four weeks, six weeks of dust on the table and it doesn't bother you. You intuitively greet people at church or in a group so that they feel welcome. And if you have the gift of hospitality, you'd be a phenomenal greeter at the church or an usher because you want people to feel welcome wherever they are, whether it's your home or somewhere else. You want them to feel like they belong and they're included. And you might at your home be folding your laundry and they don't care and you don't care. Um, you just enjoy having them over and being together. Uh, so that's a gift of hospitality. Um, I have a friend who does that, has always done that constantly. We have many friends actually who have that gift and probably many of you uh, women have that as well. So we have rushed, powered through um, eight gifts, and now we're going to take a break, and you're going to talk at your tables about what gift, uh, share with the other people at your table what two gifts so far sound like, you know, I kind of think that's me, or I'm really sure that's me. That sounds exactly like me, okay? So do that, and I'll stop you in about five or seven minutes, and we'll carry forward. Okay, ladies, we're going to continue on, and I hate to interrupt because I know you're having fun, but we haven't gotten to all the gifts, and some of you need to discover your sweet spot. So we just had a great conversation. We've got hospitality, we've got helps, we've got administration at my table and other gifts, and I'm sure yours... Uh, was the same. We had people saying, whoo, I do think that is me. Um, and also the comment of how we have always tended, if we know much about gifts, like creating a hierarchy. And oh, I wish I was that, because that's more impressive. But it's not to God. <laughs> and I hope that's come out loudly and clearly. The little finger is just as important as the left ear, and the eye is just as important as the right leg, and so forth. Uh, in God's economy, we're all essential. And so the next gift is intercession, praying. A love of praying for people. You value confidentiality. You have conversations with God as a way of life. I mean, if somebody says something, you're just immediately praying about it. It's just who you are. Um, I have a, a friend that said to me years ago, I asked her if she would be in my Bible study. I was starting a neighborhood Bible study, and, and I didn't know her very well at all, but she said, well, I'll only come if you never make me pray out loud. And I said, sure, that's it, that's good, fine. And um, that was uh, 14 years ago, and she's become a fervent intercessor. And she prays nonstop. And she's the first to pray out loud because she didn't know God had put that in her, you see. So maybe that's in you, and God's going to raise it up. Uh, the gift of knowledge. You enjoy learning, analyzing, and discovering new things. Often you like to share those insights with others. 
commonly this accompanies the gift of teaching, but not always. But it's just somebody that likes to learn and learn reading books, learn uh, obviously reading the Bible, learn from podcasts, whatever. You just love to learn about the things of God and the people of God. And you love to tell people about what you're learning. It excites you. And what you have to learn is that everybody doesn't like every detail like you do. I've had to learn that. <laughs> Barbara, stop telling them all those details. They don't care. Um, <laughs> leadership. You're able to motivate and direct people to accomplish a vision or a cause. You can be frustrated when there's a leadership vacuum in a group and therefore intuitively step in to get things moving. So you just kind of see, gosh, we need to get there, and you can motivate people to get to there, whether the there is a women's retreat or there is a, the gathering or there is a small group that we should have with, I would love to have with my neighbors. You intuitively can motivate people to be a part of the, of the grand scheme of it. Um, and if you're sitting in a, a room with a discussion, of, say as a committee meeting of some kind at school or wherever it may be, and it is not going anywhere. People are talking and talking and talking, and you're thinking, oh, my word, what time is it? And pretty soon, if you're a leader, you will jump into the vacuum because you, you've got to move it forward to a goal. And you've figured out that we have a goal and we have a timeline here. Let's move it. Um, so if that's you, you probably have the gift of leadership. Mercy, you fabulous people have a tender heart. You feel deeply for others' needs. You're very empathetic. Um, and uh, oh, I'm sure we have a lot of women here with the gift of mercy, which is a mercy to the body of Christ, because you can come alongside people for the long haul. Um, and my one thing I would say to you is I feel sorry for you, because the friends I have with the gift of mercy carry it so deeply. They carry that person's pain as if it's theirs, and it can tend to bog them down. If you have the gift of mercy, you have to work at putting up some boundaries a bit, or you will sink under the weight of, of your broken heart for other people. Um, but praise God for you, but be careful with that gift. Prophecy, you're able to reveal God's truth and to teach it. You often are comparing what you see around you with biblical values. So Primarily, the prophets are foretellers. I'm sure there are some people out and about who are foretellers, can see what's going to happen and can tell the body of Christ. But predominantly, a prophet is somebody who sees the values, the heart of God as revealed in the scripture and says, why? I just think that might not be what God has for your life or for us as a church because it doesn't match what God says here and so forth. It's a taking the truths, the values, the heart of God and applying it to what we see in our culture, what we see in our own lives, what we may see in a family member or a friend and gently saying, have you thought about this? Gently, important word with a gift of prophecy. Um, <laughs> shepherds, they enjoy coming alongside people for long-term spiritual care. They're relational and very, very supportive. And what makes uh, shepherds or pastors unique is that they will stay in for the long haul um, with somebody. They won't just go at the moment of crisis, but they will stay in for the long haul, whether it's a weekly text or a monthly phone call or whatever it may be, it is staying in the game with somebody, um, but helping them grow spiritually, whether they're in a hard place or a good place. You just like to help people grow spiritually. Fantastic small group leaders. 
Uh, teaching, obviously you understand this. Enjoying, you enjoy studying, you understand and apply scripture so others can understand it as well. So gift of teaching I think is pretty obvious, but what may not be obvious to you is you think, well, that's me, but I sure don't want to stand up and teach the gathering next month or ever, um, or a community group. But you see, the gift of teaching is applied in many ways. You may be, uh, facilitate a small group of young children, or a small group of middle schoolers, or a small group of high schoolers, and phenomenal if you were doing that and called to do that. Or you may be writing curriculum, or you may be writing poetry and passing it on. I don't know what you're teaching, how it will manifest itself. But teaching is not just upfront teaching. And wisdom, the ability to apply spiritual insights to specific situations. You're sensible, you're very insightful. I think we all understand what wisdom is. So I want to let you break into your table groups again and take five minutes to talk about, in that set of eight gifts, where do you see yourself? Uh, do you see yourself in any of those eight? So share that with the people around your table, okay? Ladies, if you could wrap it up at your tables, that would be great. You will notice that on your tables there are um, yellow handouts, and those yellow handouts are observation assessments, and what those are meant to be is for you to give that observation assessment, take at least two, give them to two friends uh, who know you well, and let them fill it out about you, what they see in you. Because sometimes our friends see in us what, what we are reluctant to own in ourselves. And um, I, it's a very, very helpful thing. So give those to a couple friends and ask them to give them back. And between having done the online assessment, I hope you've all done that or will do it in the Salem Alliance website. Just go to resources, a menu drops down, spiritual gifts, and go into that and do the assessment. Uh, that's going to be hugely helpful if you haven't done it. Um, this information today helps, and the observation assessment helps. And between it all, I think you could pretty well narrow down confidently your spiritual gifts. Um, so I hope you will do that. I want to um, close out this section with um, a modern parable that I made up. So it's made up, but um, I think it could happen on any given weekend here at Salem Alliance Church. Imagine a man walking into Broadway Commons, uh, the coffee house, um, and comes in and he uh, walks over to get some coffee and another man is standing behind him and he can see that this man is, just seems frazzled um, and upset about something. And it just so happens that the man behind him um, has a gift of hospitality and he's welcoming and warm and starts visiting with this man. And uh, this man suddenly says, I, I, it's, it's just a really hard day for me. I've been driving around for a couple hours because I don't know what to do with myself. I lost my job on Friday and I still haven't even told my wife because I'm just scared. I'm scared financially. I'm just scared. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm embarrassed, and I feel humiliated, and so forth and so on. And, 
the man with the gift of hospitality immediately um, buys his coffee for him. And he says, you know, um, I am in a, what we call a community group here. And if you would come with me, I would love to spend more time with you. And we could go upstairs to my community group. And there are a lot of caring people there. And um, so they go on up to the community group. And um, when they get up there, the man who's just met this, um, we'll call him George, says, this is George, and he's just going through a rough patch, but I thought he should come to our community group, and um, you all would be blessed to meet him, and I know he'd be blessed to meet you. And um, a person with the, after, after George says just a little bit about what's going on in his life, a person with the gift of mercy comes over and says, George, I've been in your shoes. I know what it's like to lose a job. I know what it's like to be scared financially, and um, I just believe God's going to help you person with the gift of intercession comes alongside and said, I just love to pray, George. Can I pray for you right now? And I'm going to commit that I'm going to keep praying for you, George. And he starts launching into prayer. And the person with the gift of administration comes alongside and, and she says, you know, um, I think that Mary over there works at the human resources place for the state. Mary, could you help us figure out how you can get applications for state employment? And could you help him with that? And um, and she's, then she speaks to um, Susie, who is across the room. Susie, aren't you on the benevolent committee at church? And can't you help us maybe get some help from the church? And so with the gift of administration, she's directing people and getting help for George. And on and on, the, the, on and on the gifts come into play. And the person with the gift of giving walks up and says, I just hear, hear $40 out of my wallet. That'll just help you a little bit this week with groceries and um, person with the gift of shepherding comes up and says, you know, George, I just would love to walk alongside you um, on this journey and um, believe God to help you, and I'm not going to let you walk it alone. I'm going to walk it with you. And when you hear that parable, um, sorry, my, my earring is banging into this thing. Um, <laughs> I forgot, you're not supposed to wear dangly earrings when you're speaking. Um, anyway, but when you hear that parable, I hope you hear all of the gifts of the body at work coming into play. And each one has a different role to play, just like somebody with a gift of teaching would come up to George and say, George, what was your job? Um, what kind of job would you like? Because this person needs to understand the facts. You know, all the gifts come into play. And then the body of Christ is working together as God designed it to be. Um, this last summer, my daughter and I took uh, her three kids on a 7,532-mile road trip, to be precise, <laughs> and had the time of our lives going back to the Midwest and saw over 63 relatives and several friends as well along the way. And uh, so while we were there, we went to um, St. Louis Cardinals baseball game, my hometown team. So I have a picture that uh, JR is going to put up. Okay, so that's uh, St. Louis baseball stadium, Cardinal Stadium, and we're there with uh, 23 family members. And at the moment it was raining, but thankfully the rain cleared and they played the game. But I show you that picture to give you just yet another um, illustration. Suppose we're sitting at that game and we're so excited. We've had these tickets for months and the whole family is together and we're cheering like crazy. But the pitcher doesn't pitch. He goes out and he's one of the fielders. 
And uh, the catcher decides he's going to pitch for the day. And the shortstop decides he's going to play third base, even though he's never played third base before. Um, and the center fielder comes in, and he takes over the first baseman's job. And the first baseman heads out to center field. And pretty soon, the game is a disaster because everybody's playing the wrong position. Something they are not wired to do, something they're not trained to do, something they probably don't even like to do as much. And the game would have been a catastrophe. But as it was, they all played the right place and the St. Louis Cardinals won that day. <laughs> but that's the body of Christ. We're all called to um, play our position, if you will, on the team. And it may be intercession, it may be teaching, it may be leadership, it may be helps. It may be administration, it may be hospitality, it may be any one of these 16 gifts listed here. But it's our position to play. And when you decide that these are my gifts, the next big question you usually ask yourself, which is already asked at our table, well, where do I use my gift of hospitality in the church or in the kingdom? Could be outside of the church. Where should I use it? Um, and I would say to us that um, there are, that is what Laurel's going to talk about next month when she comes, uh, where you could use your gifts that you're discovering. Um, but as you determine this season of your life, where you should use your gift, there are critical things. What is your capacity? Are you a person with a mega amount of energy? Are you like uh, the Queen Mary that can take an, an ocean liner and you can carry a huge amount of stuff? Your little kids, a bunch of ministry. Wow, you've got a high capacity. Are you a person that can, you can push a tugboat. You can push pretty much. Not a Queen Mary um, kind of ocean liner, but you can push pretty much. You need to know that about yourself. Are you a rowboat? You can do a certain amount of stuff, but after a little while, you run out of energy. You, you need to know that about yourself. Or you're going to choose a ministry that will either not be what you could really accomplish or it'll be overwhelming for you. So you need to understand your personal capacity and energy. You also need to understand, obviously, your season of life. How much time do you really have available? Um, and then you need to understand what grips your heart. What really grips your heart? What area of ministry grips your heart? Is it children? Are you somebody that would agree with, let me read you something that Abraham Lincoln said and, and see what you think about this. A child is a person who's going to carry on what you've started. He's going to sit where you're sitting he's going to, when you're gone. He's going to attend to those things which you think are important. You may adopt all the policies you please, but how they're carried out depends on that child. He will assume control of your cities, your states, and your nations. He is going to move in and take over your churches, schools, universities, and corporations. All your books are going to be judged, praised, or condemned by him. The fate of humanity is in his hands. The fate of humanity is in the hands of your children. It's in the hands of my children, my grandchildren. So when you hear that, does that say to you, I want to work with children? I want to work with those little ones in the preschool department. I want to work, sorry, I want to work with those children in grade school. I want to get them established in the Lord. I want to help their families get them established in the values of God. Or you want to work with middle schoolers who are already struggling with 
um, do I, should I do that, peer pressure, because that's what they're doing, or high schoolers where the peer pressure gets worse and worse and worse. Children, maybe that's a passion that you have, and that's where God's calling you to serve. I hope it's where he's calling a lot of you to serve. Or maybe your passion is some, uh, the needs of the poor, and maybe your heart, your burden is to get over to the clinic and do whatever you can administratively at the clinic or at Broadway Life Center, do uh, help people learning English, all the refugees coming to town, and we have people who are Russians and people that speak Arabic and people that, I, I, it's like eight or 10 different languages of people coming to our Broadway Life Center classes to learn how to speak English so they have any hope of making it in a new land. Maybe your heart says, I'm in it with the refugees. I want to help some, pick up a family even from the airport. I want to help them find a place to live. Or I could help take that one of the wives grocery shopping and help her find stuff in a grocery store. You know, there are so many ways to serve in the kingdom of God. And Laurel's going to talk about that um, next week, uh, or next month, rather, when she comes. And um, you're going to find out what's God, what's God stirring up in your heart. And I encourage you between now and then to just pray. Just pray. God, where, where, where would you want me to serve so that your kingdom can grow in Salem so that we can become a city truly at peace with God? Amazing to think of. If everybody in this city knew the Lord Jesus Christ, we'd be like we are in heaven, right? But we're called to take him to the city. And may we see and know from the Spirit of God where that's meant to be for each one of us. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for these women. Thank you for the potential sitting in this room today to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ, certainly to turn Salem upside down, certainly to change Salem Alliance Church upside down. Father, I pray that you would uh, grip their hearts with your calling. That over the next weeks and months, their eyes would be opened and they would understand what they've not been able to figure out before. Or for those who are serving in exactly their sweet spot, I pray, God, you would just keep confirming that to them and encouraging them and strengthening them. So, Father, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in us, and miraculously through us. For we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.